Well, good morning, church. Glad that you're here this morning. We are in a series called 10, and really kind of the whole premise of the series has been that as we kind of jump into a new year, then in every area of our life, for the most part, we spend time reflecting and evaluating where are we at, right? Where are we at in different areas of our life? And so I thought, you know, as we jump into this year, shouldn't we do the same thing with our lives spiritually? Look at our lives spiritually and ask the question, where do I find myself spiritually in some areas of my life? And let's rate myself one to ten about where I think I'm at. One being I'm struggling severely. Ten being not that I've arrived, but I feel like I'm on the right path and I'm really going after it hard. And so we began this series by talking about kind of rate yourself. Where do you feel like you're at in your and just your your ultimately your walk with Christ? Like when I mean by walk with Christ, I'm talking about how much you like you you have confidence in the Lord. Like what level of trust do you have in the Lord? When you think about you know walking with Christ, well, I mean where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself in a place where you desperately can't wait to draw near to the Lord? Do you feel like you're at a place where you're ultimately crying out to the Lord because you know He cares for you and loves you? I mean where are you at in your walk with Christ? And then last week we talked about evaluating ourselves where we're at in our love for the Lord. And we went back, went back all the way to Exodus chapter 20, and we looked at the first three commandments that God gave Israel, commandments that we need to heed what God is saying. And we looked at those and said, maybe these three commandments are great tools to tell us, you know, where we're at in our love for God. And so the first commandment was, you shall have no other God before me. And where are we at with that? Because here's what we all know, whether you want to admit it or not, here's what we all know. There are things in this world that are fighting to sit on the throne of our life. Amen. And God says, I'm the only one that has that right. I'm the only one that should take the throne of your life. I'm the only one who belongs there. And so we talked about idolatry. And we talked about if we really love the Lord, we're going to stray away from idols in our life. And also, if we really love the Lord, we're going to make sure that our identity, who we are and what we're about, doesn't come from anything, but it comes from the Lord. And then if you remember last week, and this is maybe where most of us struggled, is that if we're really going to love the Lord, if we really love our Lord, we need to rate ourselves in where are we at when it comes to taking the Lord's name in vain. And some of you say, well, Doug, I, I don't use that profanely. Well, if you remember, profanity is just one side of it, right? I mean, people taking the Lord's name in profanity where they swear or whatever, that's one side of it. But one way that many believers struggle in taking the Lord's name in vain is hypocritically. How we claim to follow Christ, we, we, we live our lives under the banner of Jesus, but yet we don't live like a Christ follower. And by virtue of living a life that doesn't reflect what we claim, we are taking the Lord's name in vain. And so if we really love the Lord, where are we at? Where are we at when it comes to idols? Where are we at when it comes to drawing my sense of identity from Christ alone? Where are we at when it comes to this idea of making sure that rather than, you know, taking God's name in vain, that I'm giving him credit and I'm pointing people and, and lifting up the name of Christ? Where are we at 1 to 10? So today, I want to talk about another area I want us to rate ourselves. And next week, we'll wrap up the series. I want you to think about where you're at on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being struggling, 10 not that you've arrived, but you're working hard at it, you're pursuing it in your generosity. Where are you at 1 to 10 in your generosity? Now, specifically, I'm not talking about just your overall nature. I'm a pretty giving person. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about specifically in your generosity to the Lord. Now, I know some of you are like new to our church going, oh, here it comes. Here it comes, right? Every, or maybe your first time here, like every time I visit the Dagum Church, I talk about money. Well, listen, I mean, I know that when we talk about finances, I know, listen, I know that for many of us, we struggle with that. Now, some of you are like, no, nah, man, you ought to be talking about it. Well, amen to you too, right? So we know, we know that, here's the thing, I know that when we talk about it, for some of us, we struggle. And I think there's reasons we struggle. I think one reason is because money is so personal and it's so private, right? 
You know, you talk to people sometimes, and if they could, if some of you could be honest with me right now, you would simply say this, hey, pastor, mind your own business, right? I mean, because it's personal. It's private. I think another reason we struggle is because you know you're going to be told something you don't want to be told. You know you're going to hear something you don't want to hear. Like this, like, you are not an owner of anything. You're only a steward of what God has allowed you to have. And we don't like to hear that. We don't want to hear that I'm not an owner, I'm a steward, because we look at life and go, yeah, but look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Look what I have. Look what I, 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 I. And what you're going to hear is this, is that none of it belongs to you. And so one reason we don't want to talk about finances is because we're like, you know what? At the end of the day, I don't want to be told that I'm a steward. I really want to be an owner, right? I really want to be an owner of what I have, and we're not. But let me tell you another reason I think we don't like talking and we struggle about talking about finances and generosity is because of this. Because one thing all of us have either seen, experienced, or struggled with is this idea. That once we start accumulating some level of wealth, here's something that happens to us. We get to that place where we desire what? More. Right? We're never fully satisfied and content. We have this desire for, just, and some of you are spiritual, so it's just a little bit more, right? I mean, we get to that point where we, we, kind of, we love what we have, but like, if I just had a little bit more, and we get into this cycle of this desire for more. And listen, some of you, need, you, may, you may feel like, you know what, Doug? I don't know that that's really a big issue. This idea of finances, I'm telling you, it is a big issue. Let me tell you why it's a big issue. Because Jesus thought it was a big issue. Jesus himself talked about the issue of money. Listen, out of 36 parables, or I mean 38 parables, 16 of them Jesus taught dealt with money or possessions. One out of every 10 words that Jesus spoke dealt with money or possessions. Over 2,000 scripture in the Bible deal with money or possessions. Jesus said in Matthew 26 that you can't follow two masters. You can't serve God and you can't serve what? Why? Now, in that, in that story, Jesus literally points out money. Why? Because he knows that the thing that's in our life that's the chief competitor to him taking our heart, the throne of our life, is money. Jesus knows us. 1 Timothy 6 says this, it's the love of money that is the root to all kinds of evil, right? That the love of money, the pursuit of money, the desire for more is foundational and all these other evils that we go through. So I believe if Jesus thought it was a big deal, so should we. I understand your reservation. I understand you're like, I, you know, this may, I struggle because I, I like being an owner. I don't want to be told I'm a steward. I understand because I do want more, but I probably shouldn't want more. And I don't want you to tell me that. Listen, I understand the struggle. But I just feel like we got to come to the words of Jesus and ask this question. How do we manage this appetite for more? How do we have a biblical view of money? And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at the book, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be. And we're going to turn and we're going to read from verse 13 through 21. And once again, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screen. Jesus has been teaching. It says this in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher. Tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. Now, you, if you've had kids, you've heard that conversation, right? Tell them to what? Share, right? That's what he's saying. But he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We'll come back to that. And then he told them this parable, saying, 
The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build what? Larger barns. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have made ample goods laid up. For many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be then? So this is as this, so this, and this is this the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this passage. And God, I know that when we talk about this, that it's for so many, it is so personal. But I pray that you would just touch our hearts this morning. That God, we would not stray away from this, that this is one of those areas that if we're going to grow in our walk with you, if we're going to walk closer with you, we've got to get a grip on finances. We've got to get a grip on money. And God, so just be with us. May you teach us this morning from your word. And it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Now, when you look at this passage, there are really three things that I want you to see with me this morning. And here's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see the desire for more. I want you to see the desire for more. Now, if you notice right out of the gate here, this Jesus has been teaching in this crowd, and this guy probably raised his hand and said, teacher, he, me, me, I, me, 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 me right here. Can, I've got a question. I've got a question. Will you tell my brother to share his inheritance? So this is a guy, listen, this is a young boy, probably the younger brother, obviously the younger brother, who's got this inheritance question. And what we see with this question is, this guy is not satisfied with what he's supposed to get. He wants what? Come on, he wants what? More, right? And in this desire for more, I want you to understand something. When we have a desire for more like this guy, a couple of things happen. First of all, this desire for more causes conflict. Look at me in verse 13 and 14 again. This desire for more causes conflict. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. But he said to the man who made me judge and arbiter over you. This guy, this younger brother, realized that what he was getting, he didn't feel like was enough. Now, in that day and time, in that, in that kind of world they lived in, that if you were the oldest son, how many of you are the oldest sibling in your family? Okay, hands down. If you have siblings and you're not the oldest, raise your hand. Well, it would have stunk to be you back then, all right? So basically, if you were the oldest in the family, you were guaranteed, I'm sorry, let me, let me change it. If you were the oldest son in the family, sorry, ladies, all right? The oldest son in the family, you would have gained two-thirds of the inheritance. So if you had $1,000, you, know, $1, you would have got two-thirds of that. If you were the youngest son, you would have got a third. Now, if they had multiple kids, that third got divided out. But all we think from the passage is a brother came about his other brother. And he said, listen, here's the deal. I know I've got an older brother. He's going to get two-thirds of this inheritance. I know that I'm going to get a third of the inheritance. Now, let's just be honest. Some of you have had family members die, and all you got was debt, right? I mean, so the idea that there's really an inheritance to be had would be something that would be like kind of a nice thing, right? But this guy's obviously unhappy with the third that he's supposed to get. So he does what everybody does. He goes whining to Jesus, right? Going, hey, will you do something? I need, I need you to step in, and I need you to help me out, Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to notice. This guy's desire, this, this guy's desire for more and his lack of contentment with what he had was causing conflict. Did you hear me on that? This guy's desire for more and his lack of contentment with what he was going to get caused conflict between he and his brother to the point where he's asking Jesus to step in. 
Now, I think it's a really important thing for us to stop here for a moment and realize this, is that when we choose to be, have this lack of contentment with what God has given us, and we live in this world where we desire more and more and more, listen, it will lead to conflict in our life. It will lead to conflict with other people. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe you've worked there for 10 years and you think you deserve more and you've earned more. And by the way, that's called entitlement and that's a whole other message. But you think you deserve it and you, and you know the boss hasn't given you a raise, a promotion, and you're just, you're just ticked off at the boss. You're like, now you've got conflict with the boss. Guy you used to like, you thought he was a great guy. Now he's not paying you what you're worth. And so now there's conflict. You ever had that one happen? Or maybe it's a colleague. Somebody that you work with, a cubicle next to you, work with you, and you keep hearing about them quietly, how they're texting or they're talking to their husband or their wife and going, hey, I got a raise this year. And you're like, I didn't get a raise. I didn't get a promotion. I didn't get, in the, I didn't get any of that stuff. And so now what? This money issue becomes a source of conflict between maybe you and your colleague. You know, can I tell you where money oftentimes becomes a source of conflict? In your marriage. I've been a minister a little over 30 years in my 31st year, and I can tell you that all the marriage counseling I've done, there's usually one of four things I can guarantee you that the root of all things are going to come back to, and one of those is always what? Money. I'm just telling you, if we can't discover what it means to be content, and we always live in this desire for more, it's going to cause conflict with other people. But listen to this, it's also going to cause conflict with God. Because somewhere along the line, listen, when we choose not to be content with what God has had and we keep pursuing more and more and more instead of pursuing him more and more and more, we're trying to replace God. We're going to wrestle with being in conflict with God, thinking God's not fair, God's not just, God doesn't love me, God doesn't care about me, all a lie straight from hell. But we're going to start believing that kind of stuff. And so when we look at this passage, the first thing we see in this desire for more is that this desire creates and causes conflict. This desire for more also leads to a false sense of value, a false sense of worth. Look what it says in verse 15. And Jesus said to them, take care or watch out and be on guard against all covetousness or greed for one's life. Listen to this. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So here's the thing. This guy that come to Jesus, he's like, listen, your desire has created conflict. And your desire has created a false sense of value and a false sense of worth. Did you pick up on what Jesus said? He says, take care or watch out. Be on guard. Now, what's he saying we are to be on guard about? He said, we're going to be on guard about any kind of covetousness or any kind of greed that comes into our life. That we're to be on guard for the desire for more. We need to watch ourselves and be alert when we fall into this desire for more. Because this desire for more, listen, this desire for more leads to wrong thinking. Did you pick up on that? What was this guy thinking in his desire for more? Well, that if I have more, I'm worth more. If I have more, I'm more valuable. If I have more, my value as a person increases. And I love what Jesus said. Did you pick up on what he said? He said that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Even if you had everything, it doesn't make you more valuable. Even if you had everything, doesn't make you worth anymore. And so one thing I want us to notice out of the gate is when we look at this passage, we need to see that this desire for more, this desire that you're never fully and completely satisfied, this desire for more of money, that the chief pursuit of my life is more money instead of more of him. When we go down that path, it will lead to conflict, church. And it will also lead to a false sense of value and worth. You know why? Because all your junk is temporary. 
The thing that gives you value and worth is what Jesus has done for you and who you are in Christ. And that will last, guess how long? For all eternity, right? So you have this guy come to Jesus, and he's just asking for help, right? I mean, and then Jesus says this profound statement, right? And he basically saying, you, you know, your desires led to conflict. It's led to false sense of, of, of security and a false sense of value and worth. And then Jesus pauses there, and he does something. I love what he does here. Then he says, you know, I think I'll just tell a parable right here. I'll tell a story to get to a point. So Jesus tells this parable, and it leads us to the second thing I want you to notice, because in this parable, Jesus talks about the foolishness of greed. In verse 16 through 20, it says this, And he told him this parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, have you ever done that? You ever thought to yourself about anything? And he said, well, self? And then that's what he did. So he's kind of talking to himself. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, what is he saying? I've got so much stuff. I got so much wealth. I've got so much grain. I got, wouldn't you, I mean, some of you are like, I, I, that's probably wrong, but I would sure love to know how you felt when it comes to the almighty dollar. Right? I've, got, I've got a barn filled full of $100 bills, and it's just not big enough, right? That's kind of what's going on here. He said, I, he said listen, he said, he said, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my stuff? And he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, and I will just build bigger barns. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, here's the thing. What Jesus tells in his parables, he points out the foolishness of greed, the foolishness of this idea of I want more. So the second thing I want you to see is the foolishness of greed, and we see it in a couple of three ways. And here's the first thing we see. This greed shows up in the fact that this guy never recognized where his wealth came from. One of the foolishness of this greed that this guy had is he never paused for any moment to recognize where his wealth had come from. Even when he recognized his fields were plentiful, do you think there was ever a moment he paused and he goes, I wonder why my fields are doing so well. I wonder why my crops are doing so well. There was never that moment in this guy's life because why were they doing so well? Because God blessed him. God allowed it to have. I mean, the reason that, that he was doing as well as he was wasn't because he was just that awesome. It had everything to do with God's blessing on his life. And we need to hear that this morning. I don't care how well you do financially, it's all because God's allowing it to happen. And you're like, oh, no, Doug, I'm just that smart. No, you're not. I don't mean to be ugly, but there's somebody smarter than you. And they probably are sitting right beside you called your spouse, right? I mean, you're not. Here's the thing. It all belongs to the Lord. And so this guy never, the foolishness in what he did was he never recognized where his wealth had come from. He never stopped and he goes, why is my ground so plentiful? Well, God did that. In fact, because of that, he even refused to acknowledge that everything he had belongs to God. Right? He even refused to do that. So this guy in his foolishness never recognized where his wealth came from. In fact, did you pick up on what he said here? I'm going to go back and read this. It won't be on the screen, but listen to this. And he said, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And then I will say to myself, do you pick up on what he said six times? What was it? I. Look what I have. Look what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Look at me, look at me, look at me. 
And the foolishness of this man's greed that led him to this place of desiring more and more and more is never did he stop and recognize where his wealth had come from. That it wasn't about what he had done, it's about what God had done for him. And as, listen, as, as a result of that, being generous and giving back to the Lord was never a consideration. Do you see anywhere in the passage where the guy goes, you know what? I was wrong, God, I want to I give back to you. Do you ever see that in the passage? No. Now, I want you to hear me this morning. There may be somebody here this morning who's like, you know what? I'm just not giving to the Lord. I don't, I don't want to give back to the church. I don't want to give my tithes and offerings. I don't want to do that. I've just, it's something I've kind of come to. Well, so I can tell you one of the reasons you probably have that position in your life is because you've never stopped and acknowledged where your wealth came from. It's not something you mustered up. Even your skills, ability, and your mental uh, you know, sharpness came from the Lord, right? And so probably one reason many of us struggle with this idea of giving is because maybe we've never paused and go, you know what? Where did my wealth come from? There's the Lord. Who owns my wealth? The Lord. And I'm telling you, once we buy into that, listen, once we buy into the notion that everything I have belongs to him, that everything I have is because of him, we will be more generous in our giving to the Lord. But also we see this foolishness of his greed in another way. Knowing he not recognized where his wealth had come from, he also never understood what his wealth was for. Did you pick up on the passage what he wanted to do with his wealth? Store it, right? Store it and save it. In fact, I don't have enough room for it, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to tear these barns down, and I'm just going to build bigger barns because I need more room and more space. He never not only did not recognize where his wealth had come from, he never understood what his wealth was for. For him, here's what his wealth was for. Storing, saving, and as you keep on reading, for his own personal comfort. Only. And I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it wrong to save? No. Is it wrong to take your honey out on a, on a vacation? and do, No. But for this guy, his storing and saving was all about relaxing and comforting and taking care of who? Himself and nobody else. And because of that, listen, because of that, you don't see any heart here of him giving back to God or even blessing other people. You don't see any of that mindset. And maybe one of the reasons that many of us struggle is because we've come to the place where we've not only not recognized where our wealth comes from, but we've not recognized what our wealth is for. Our wealth is not just for us to store up and to save up and to only take care of me, myself, and I. It is to give back to the Lord, but also to be a blessing to other people and other ministries and organizations. That's why we have this money. In fact, I met one person one time, and I love this about them. I won't tell you who they are because they're in our church. And they said they loved retirement. And one reason they loved retirement, and one reason they loved saving money, and one reason they loved when they got raises was because the more they made, the more they could give away. Because they understood that I need to be content with what I have, and if God continues to bless me, I'm going to bless other people. Isn't that a great attitude to have? And some of you are like, well, I don't know about that. Well, you're, you're, you're the Scrooges of the room, right? I mean, you get that. We struggle with that. We all do. I do too. But generosity is something needs to be part of our life. And let me tell you another way that we see the foolishness of his greed. And it's found in verse 19. He saw his wealth as his sense of security. Look with me in verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years to come. Relax, eat, drink, and what? Be merry. Be merry. See, he saw his wealth as a means of security. Did you pick up on what he said? Hey, I've laid up enough stuff that it will sustain me for how long? 
years, right? I mean, that's, a, that's some wealth, isn't it? Like not a week, not a month, not a half year, but years, plural. He said, I got enough stuff that basically from this time till I die, I can't see me ever being in need of anything. So he stores all this stuff up. He viewed his wealth as his sense of security. I have enough stuff to sustain me. I have enough stuff. I have enough wealth to secure my future. Guess what? Relaxing. Yeah, to live well and relaxing, right? And see, his wealth made him feel safe. Now, when you read this, there could be some of you that go, okay, is this where Jesus is, is Jesus calling out and saying that we should never retire? Well, that's not, this is not at all. Well, I don't believe this is passage is all about this. Okay? So this idea of like you're like, well, should I not be putting in my 401k or my, my Roth IRA or whatever? Because one day I would like to kind of quit my job because the people there, I love them in Jesus' name, but I like to, you know, throat chop all of them. You know, I mean, eventually I like to retire, see my grandbabies, travel the world, whatever the case may be. There's nothing here that's saying you can't retire. However, if your retirement looks like this, because here's the problem with this guy. His life now was going to be a purposeless life. All he wanted to do was chill out, stay home, and take care of me, myself, and I. That's all he wanted to do. He didn't want to love on anybody else. He didn't want to bless anybody else. His life was all about having no purpose, no responsibilities. Listen, if you retired, God bless you. If you were at that point where you had enough in the, in the Social Security or whatever, retired, God bless you. But you can never retire from the, God that, the call that God has on your life. You can never retire from the mission that God has for all of us, which is to be and to make disciples of other people. So I've known a lot of great people, even in this room, who are retired people. And I, I'm telling you, you, talk to these retired people. They love it because like, now I can do more ministry than I've ever done in my life before. And I love that. So this is not a dig on retirement. This is a dig on people who want to not only retire, but they want to do nothing and only care for who? Themselves. And so that's the foolishness of this guy. He viewed his wealth as his security. Now, interesting enough, as Nancy so uh, pleasantly pointed out, was there every moment you thought about, what if my barns catch fire? You ever thought, he thought about that one? What if, well, I mean, like, what if something happens? I mean, what, he, what is he storing in barns? Come on, let's be honest. He's not storing a $100 bill. What's he storing? Grain, which is, could catch fire pretty easy, right? So do you think he ever thought about that? What, what, did you think he ever thought about what happens if I outlive my money or if my money outlives me, Right? This guy, all he wanted was a life filled with no purpose. And in the end, look what happens, verse 20. In the end, but God said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. In the end, listen, total loss. In the end, total loss. In the end, total loss. Now, what's interesting about this passage is this is that here's a guy who had this desire for more. So Jesus kind of pauses the conversation going, listen, you're creating conflict. You have a false sense of value and worth. Let me tell you a story, guy. Let me tell you a story to put this in perspective. And here's the story. There was a rich guy who was a foolish guy. And this rich guy chose to not ever recognize where his wealth had come from. This rich guy had chose to never understand what his wealth was for. Here's a rich guy who thought his wealth was a source of his security. And here was my conclusion to this rich guy. You ready? You fool. In other words, you've missed it. You've invested in all the wrong things. And so tonight, guess what? You're going to lose your life. Tonight, you're going to die, and you're going to have all these barns with all this wealth, and you never got to enjoy it, spend it, bless, or give any of it back to God. Tonight, it's going to be total loss. And Jesus' conclusion for this guy is, you're a fool. 
And so I'm just telling you, when we come to this desire for more, we've got to realize there, that we are foolish if we live a life where all we want is more and more and more. Rather, we need to stop and pause and go, where's the wealth that I have? Where does it come from? Where's the wealth that I have? What's it for? And the wealth that I have has in no way, shape, or form bring me value or worth. That comes through my personal relationship with Christ. So I would say to you this morning, the story of this parable is, don't be a fool, right? And then Jesus ends this parable with a third thing I want you to notice, and that's the remedy for greed, the remedy for greed. And it says this in verse 21. So is the one, in other words, this is true of everybody, who lays up treasure for himself and is not what? Rich toward God. Let's read that together. Rich toward God. Now say it like you actually mean. You ready? Rich toward God. In other words, if you don't want what happened to him to happen to you, remember he's talking to this younger brother. If you don't want what happened to this guy I just told you about to happen to you, you need to make sure you stop focusing on treasuring up things for yourself and start being rich toward God. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what being rich toward God means. It means a couple of things. First of all, it means realizing that everything I have belongs to the Lord. Do you believe that this morning? Realizing that everything I have belongs to the Lord. Realizing that I am an owner of nothing and I'm only a steward of what God has blessed me with. And realizing that the remedy for greed, listen, the remedy for greed is giving. That's the remedy. It's always been the remedy. All the way back in the Old Testament, the remedy for this desire for more or for greed has always been giving. Now, I know when you think about giving, you're like, okay, what are you talking about? You're just talking about, you know, giving random. Listen, in Scripture, in the Old Testament, it talks about the giving of the tithes and the offerings, right? The tithes and the offerings. You know what a tithe is, right? Everybody know what a tithe is? It's what is a tithe? You get a lot of head shaking, but do you know what a tithe is? What is it? 10%, right? They say, well, that's the law, Doug. Yes, it was the law. But can I tell you something? Before there was law, there was this guy named Abraham who went and conquered a village, brought all this loot back, and he paused and gave 10% pre-law and gave it to the priest Melchizedek as a way of offering to God. So while 10% is part of the Old Testament law, it also exceeds the law because it happened before, and I believe it should happen today, is this idea of giving a tenth to the Lord. So we see that in the Old Testament. In fact, in Malachi chapter 3, God says, he rebukes Israel and says, you've been robbing me of my tithe. You've not been giving me 10%. So God challenged them, said, listen, I just challenge you, test me. Only time in scripture, God ever says, test him. Test me. You do what you're supposed to do and test me and see if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and bless you more than you can handle. That doesn't mean if you get $100 today that God's going to bless you with 1000 underneath the car tire of your car and you're back. I'm, oh my gosh, there's $1,000. No, but the blessings from God, I would never try to define the blessings of God limited based on how I feel and I think. If God says, I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven and bless you, I want what he's thinking, not what I'm thinking. Amen? And so this idea is, in the Old Testament, is all about the tithe. But in the New Testament, Jesus changes the narrative a little bit. Now, now, some of you have this mindset, or maybe this thought, well, the New Testament, I don't believe, advocates tithing. And I would just simply, as your pastor, and someone loves you and cares about you, just say, that's not right at all. See, Jesus only complimented the Pharisees for their tithing, right? Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. I believe Jesus tithed his money. He also says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give what? To God, what belongs to God. What's he talking about? The tithe. But here's how Jesus changed the narrative. For Jesus, the tithe is the bar. 
But in this passage, he uses a different phrase. Let's go back to the last verse if we can, Thomas. He uses a different phrase, and it is, be rich toward God. In other words, the tithe is the bar, but here's what I want you to do. Raise that. If this is the bar, I want you to exceed that. I want you to have a heart that's willing to be rich toward God. Now, I know some of you are like, you're, really, you're sweating right now. You're like, oh my gosh. You know, so, so like uh, the tithe is something that the Lord wants me to do. Yeah, and listen, the tithe today serves the same purpose as the tithe in the Old Testament. To be given to the local church to do the ministry and the work of the kingdom. Same thing it was back in the Old Testament. Same thing it was in the New Testament. Same thing it's done today in the churches. Cross IFEs, cross life. Same, same, same thing. And some of you are like, okay, you're talking about the tithe is the bar. And it is. But what Jesus is saying, I don't want you just to, to lock yourself into this. I want you to be rich toward God. If you think about God's love, is God's love been extravagant for you? Did God just kind of go with the bar and go, I'm just going to do enough to get by? Is that what God did with you? In fact, Scripture says that God lavished his love on us, right? Lavish meaning he overdid what was necessary because he wanted to show us how much he loved us. And the same thing's true with us. Now, I want you to understand something because some of you have already tuned me out, locked me out, and go, I'm going to come back and wait next week, right? Listen to me on this. What we find in this passage is this. Does God need your money? But you know why he asked for it? Because he wants your heart. And so here's what God knows is, our heart is revealed in how we manage our money. Did you hear me on that? Our heart is revealed in how we manage our money. So what I want us to do today, I want to take us a big step, and I want to be a person that encourages us as a church, as followers of Christ, to take a step toward biblical giving this morning. And so I want to do something. Some of you, this is going to be new to you. Some of it's not new to you. You've been in cross life for a while. But I just want to encourage you. I want to be someone that encourages our church in biblical Giving. Now, what I'm about to share is for those that are members of Cross IFEs, those that feel like Cross IFEs is your home, your family, even if you've not joined the church, or you feel like, hey, man, I have a kindred spirit with them, that's where I'm going to land my family. What I'm about to say is for you, okay? What we're going to ask you to do, if you notice on every other chair, there's, a, there's an envelope, and go ahead and grab that, and there's a card in there. There's a pledge card. Now, stay with me. Don't tune me out. Get up and walk away. Stay with me. Let me tell you what this is for. This is what we ask every year, the same time in January, the third week every year, we do a stewardship emphasis. And what we do is we ask people, we talk about the need to be giving, and we ask people to make a commitment. That commitment could be, as you see on the first one, to begin tithing 10%, to continue to tithe, and, to get, and really to be rich toward God, or even to pray for our church. And then to ask you to kind of you know, estimate what do you think you might give to the church over the course of the year in 2022. Put your name in all that. Now, listen, when I first got here, I was like, I don't know if I can stand up and encourage people to do that. But then God began to work on my heart as to why this is important for us as a church. Can I tell you why? Three reasons. First of all, it provides a sense of commitment to all of us. See, I don't know about you, but I live in a world of good intentions, don't you? Like, I, I have a lot of good intentions. Like, for the last 40 years of my life, I mean, not 40, probably 30 years, I've committed to lose weight, and we see how well that's gone, right? And so, I mean, I, I have a lot of good intentions. But a real commitment is different. Like when you're paying $200 to a club membership a week, you're like, I, I got to go, you know, whatever. I mean, so there's a difference there. And so it gives you a chance to make a commitment. And here's the commitment I think some of you need to make. Some of you don't give anything to the Lord at all, and you need to start giving something, sometime, somewhere. Some of you are what I would call random givers. You walk through and go, you know, there's a box. Like, okay, I got like $7 in my pocket. You throw it in there. That's great. Awesome. If you're, if you're not giving anything, start giving something. And if you're a random giver, would you start working toward percentage giving? So you know what? God, I, I, 10% just blows my mind. I'm going to start at 5, but I'm going to work toward 10. 
And if you're like many of us in the church and you're a percentage tither, I would encourage you to go with what we talked about today. And what does it mean for me financially to be rich toward God? So one reason we do this is for us to have the ability to make commitment. The second reason is accountability. When I put my name down, which I've already done, and put in here, and we turn this in, this is a source of accountability for me. Now, nobody, listen, a couple things I want you to know. The only person that I know who fills out a card and what that number is, is Sonia and I. That's the only person I know. It will never change. It will never be any different. I only know about us. I don't go through the card and go, you know, I don't see this person. I don't do any of that stuff because I don't, want, I don't want to think that way. I just know about us. So when I say accountability, I'm not talking about pastoral accountability. I'm talking about accountability that I've made a commitment to the Lord and I need to keep it. Now, the only thing that we do out of our financial office is once every six months, they may send, here's where you're at update-wise, just so you know. They don't send you a note going, hey, by the way, you're behind, pick it up, or hey, you're ahead, slow down. I mean, we don't do that kind of stuff. It's just we want to keep people abreast of what's going on. But let me tell you a third reason this card is so important, and I hope you hear me on this, is because we believe that everything belongs to the Lord. Do you believe that? Say amen. And as a church, we want to be a good steward of God's money. And when we discover what we believe our body of believers feel like they can give over the course of the next 12 months, it helps us as a staff steward it so we can be good stewards of God's money because it is still God's money. And we want to steward in a way that is honoring and pleasing to him. So here's what I'm going to ask you. If you're a member of our church or you feel like Cross Life East is the place you're going to land, I'm going to ask you if you take this. Some of you knew it was coming and you've like already got it filled out even while I'm talking. You're ignoring me and you're just going to write it down. That's great. And there's a basket right back there behind, in the very back of the room beside the, the offering basket. There's a, the offering bin, there's a basket. You can drop it in there. Some of you might want to take this home. So, you know, I need to pray about this. My spouse and I, we need to talk. We need to pray. We need to seek God. And so you can bring it back next week. We're going to do this for two or three weeks, just having the opportunity for you to make this commitment. But listen, here's what I know. That when we make this commitment, it provides a great deal of accountability in our soul, and our spirit, but it also allows the church to steward God's money well. And I think we all would want that. So we're going to ask you, if you feel led, would you please take some time to do this? Now, as I close this morning, I just want to remind you of two things. First of all, I think we need to remember this, that when we live our lives to consume the almighty dollar to the exclusion of being rich toward God, it always leads to total loss. Did you hear me on that? When we live our lives in pursuit of gaining wealth to the exclusion of being rich toward God, always leads to total loss. However, if we will take what God has blessed us with and we will bless him by giving back to him, there's always blessing that follow. And some of you that are tithers or you those givers in the room, you know what I'm talking about and you probably should shout amen, right? Because you know I'm right. So I'm going to ask you, I know today's a tough topic. I know we talk about money and stuff, but here's what I know, that there's one thing in everybody's life that is the chief competitor for the throne of your heart and it's money. And we got to get a grip on it. And the way we control the appetite for more, the way the remedy for greed is giving. So if you're a church member, please take that pledge card. If you don't have one around you, they're back on that table. Take some time, fill it out, say, you know what, this is what I'm committing to this year. And then as a church, we will be stewards of what God's people say they can give over the course of the next 12 months, okay? Let's all stand together. Everybody stand with me. As you stand, I just want to remind you something. One thing for me, anytime I come to a difficult subject matter in my own personal life. Let's just be honest. Sometimes when I come to difficult matters, I lean toward the side of, you know what? I don't want to do that. I'm selfish. Anybody else selfish in the room? Okay, three of you. The rest of you, liars, right? I mean, I'm selfish. And I want to do it my way. But can I just tell you this? There's a song 
It's one of my favorite songs. It's a hymn. Actually, it's hard for me to say. It's a hymn. One of my favorite songs is a hymn. And it's all about the faithfulness of God. Because here's what I, for me, just for Doug, when I am able to rest in the faithfulness of God, it motivates me to be faithful to God. When I think about how he's been faithful, all that he's done for me, it compels me to do what he's asked me to do for him. So I don't know where you find yourself this morning in the subject matter. Where you, some of you are like, oh, amen, preach it. Some of you are like, I don't know about you, but wherever you find yourself, can we just pause for a moment and just begin to think about the faithfulness of God? God, we love you and we thank you for today. I thank you for the words of Jesus. God, whether we admit or not, we need to hear the words of Jesus this morning. There's a lot of us like that younger brother who look at life, look at income, look at wealth, and we feel like it's just not fair. We feel like we're kind of, we're getting a raw deal. But so beautifully Jesus put out there for us the foolishness of, the, of greed, the foolishness of always wanting more. Because in our quest for more, we never pause. We never stop and say, God, thank you because I know it, that my wealth has come from you. We never stop and understand what you've allowed us to have this wealth for. We never get to that place where we, we always are thinking that our identity, our security, our value and our worth is found in our possessions. And Jesus so beautifully laid out for us that thinking that way is foolishness. So God, this morning, my prayer is simple, that you would correct our thinking. That this morning, as we think about your faithfulness, we would pause and recognize that everything we have, every possession, is all because of you. That we would pause and think about, why do I have this? What is it for? And that we would pause and realize that our value and security and identity comes from you, not how much money is in our bank account. Now, what I'm saying is, may we just pause this morning and realize how much we need you. And then I pray this morning that we would commit, make a real commitment to being a part of the remedy for greed, which is giving. That for those that are members of our church, are going to be members of our church, that we would take this pledge card not as just something random we do, but as a real way to make a commitment, as a real way to be held accountable, as a real way so that we as a church can steward, God, your money much better. God, I pray during this time that you would speak to our hearts. But God, for the next few moments, I pray that we would just wallow, rest, and meditate on your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to love us, your faithfulness to care for us, your faithfulness to rescue us, your faithfulness to provide for us, your faithfulness to protect us. Lord, all the ways that you are faithful, may we just sing and celebrate and thank you for those. So God, would you just be with us, be with us in this moment, and work in our hearts only as you can. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.